up, I grew up in a town, well, I grew up all over the place, but probably the place I spent the most time was in Brisbane. And so a few years ago when I heard that there was a, and I use this inverted commas, commas, a Christian cult in Brisbane, a secretive Christian cult who was claiming, and some of you might remember this on the news just a few years ago, that Jesus would return and they had the date and the exact time. My ears pricked up and I was very interested. The press, the media got a hold of it and they were gathered around the house and they were having a field day. There were live crosses from the national news at six o'clock, a current affair and those programs were onto it. And everybody was watching this in, in, in wonder, uh, really, I guess the, the, the little derision and making fun of them a little bit, this cult that claimed that Jesus was going to come and come exactly for them and they'd walked into the house. The house you imagine the scene, the house is surrounded by the press, a of course, Jesus didn't come. And people were making lots of fun of the whole thing. There were jokes. They were joking on television. They were joking through the media. They thought it was a great laugh, this small group that had believed Jesus was going to come. And of course, he didn't. Me? I winced. Again, I saw the Bible being mocked. Jesus being disrespected. And the whole idea of a, a second coming of Jesus being derided like some silly thing, some stupid idea, believed and spread by loonies on the far fringe of our culture and our society. And as I thought about it, I scratched my head. I came to a few conclusions. Number one, cults like this, this one in Brisbane, that make these great claims of Jesus' return and the time and all the rest of it and it doesn't happen, they do bring disrespect and dishonour on the Christian cause. They do us no favours and they do the Bible no favours either. And it reinforces out there in our society, in our secular society, it reinforces the stereotypes that the Bible is a book of fables and myths believed by a bunch of uh, lunatics right out there on the fringe. But do you know what really impacted me? It was how incredulous the media and our culture and our society is today to the fact that Jesus is coming again. Did you know back in the late 80s that 67% of Americans believed that Jesus would come again the second time? Now it's down beneath 40%. The percentage of people out there who actually believe that Jesus is coming again is dropping. And I don't know what it is in Australia, but it wouldn't be high. And it's got to the point that if you go and preach and teach and believe and share that you think Jesus will come again, that it will be visible, that the whole world will see it and it will bring about the end of the age as we know, people think you're mad. And yet we are Christians. And we know that Jesus will come again. We know it. Amen? We know it's not a fantasy. We know it's not a myth. We know Jesus will come again. And today I want to share with you four points that will help us as beginners prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. But before I do, I want to share a concern, and I want to share it with you by reading the gospel, by reading the Bible. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 18, verse 8. I want to share three quick scriptures with you. 
Luke chapter 18, verse 8. This is Jesus, Jesus talking about his second coming. And these three scriptures sober me. And there is a reason in our church I will continue to keep coming back to how, uh, to subjects and topics, preach sermons, teach lessons on how to be ready for the coming of Jesus. These three texts motivate me. I don't want them, I don't want these texts to apply to any of you today or, or me. Jesus said, and this is not colloquial. Jesus said, but when I return, Will I find faith on the earth? Do you think that's sobering? That's Jesus. He said, when? Now, I want you just for a moment to think of yourself and your own life and where you are with Jesus right now. Only you and God know that. Jesus said, and I think he's talking to us today. Well, he is talking to us because this, this, even though he said this 2000 years ago, it's, it's pointed directly at us. He said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? And then I come across these sorts of texts describing the second coming in the Bible all the time. And I don't know whether you've noticed this, but I have, and it alarms me. Revelation chapter one, verse seven. And I'm just reading the second part. And all the nations of the world will mourn for Jesus. This is talking about Jesus' second coming. And the response, the reaction of the nations when they see Jesus coming, the Bible says they will, what will say they'll do? Mourn. This is not a happy event for the world. And it doesn't say some of the nations, it says all of the nations. Now this next verse goes even further, Matthew 24 verse 30. And then at last the sign of the Son of Man is coming. Uh, Sorry. And then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. And there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The Bible says there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. Now, I'm brought up a Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, praise God for that. I have a mum and dad who love Jesus Christ. I've shared with you before how we had family worship morning and night. We brought in the Sabbath. We took out the Sabbath. I was brought up in a God-fearing family with God-fearing Parents surrounded by a God-fearing church membership, church family. So everywhere I went as a small kid, I'm surrounded by followers of God. And the second coming was always an event that was preached and taught about that we look forward to. And so it was something for me as I got older and began to read the Bible for myself to see that the second coming is something that most of the world, when it happens, will not be happy about. And I don't want that to be your experience today. When Jesus comes, I want you to be happy. I want you to be thrilled. I want you to see him and welcome back your Saviour and your God. And that's why today I want to share with you four points, which I think are really important about preparing for the second coming of Jesus. The beginner's guide on how to prepare for the second coming of Jesus. Number one, and these are simple, and I hope and pray that you leave this church today making a commitment in your life that these factors will be alive inside of you. Number one, if you are preparing for the second coming of Jesus, and I could just share this point and stop. Number one, if you're preparing for the second coming of Jesus, be 
converted. That's the most important thing I'll tell you today. If you are preparing for the second coming of Jesus, be converted. And I again ask you to look deep into your own heart and into your own experience because these are questions only you can answer. And ask yourself the question today, am I genuinely converted to Jesus Christ? Is he really my saviour and God? Have I really opened the door of my heart and welcomed him in and said, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what the cost. I am here. I am yours. You are mine. I am totally here for you to do as you please. Take my life. You are my God. You own me. I am, and this is the words that Paul uses, I am your slave. Are you having that experience with Jesus Christ today? Is prayer, because if you're converted, prayer is at the very centre of it. You can't be converted without prayer. In fact, conversion comes through prayer. It's that moment when you get on your knees and you say, God, here I am, take me. I say to the Lord every morning, convert me. Come into my stone cold, hard heart and change it and soften it. Convert me, convert me, convert me, O Lord. It's the greatest prayer you can pray. And when that you pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And Bible study becomes an important part of your life. You know, I've been watching a program on Netflix. Again, Hannah. She goes and gets Netflix and she says, Dad, did you know on Netflix you can have six or eight people? Did you guys know that? She said, I'm going to put your name on Netflix. I thought, fabulous. Thank you, Hannah. Next thing I know, she's got my credit card and I'm paying for it. (laughs) Thank you. I like to watch these documentaries on Netflix. This week I'm watching a documentary late at night, probably when I should be asleep, on these Russian trappers up in the north of Siberia in Russia. Amazing stuff. They live in the snow and the ice and the cold, often minus 50 degrees and more. I loved it watching these guys. You know, they trap sabres, tiny little rat-like things. They trap them for their fur. And what they do is they, in the summer they go out and they have what's called a base hut. And from that base hut, they could have 1,500 miles square in their territory. From that base hut, they'll build six other, seven other huts that they go and stay in, but the base hut is where all their food and supplies and medical stuff is. It is their main hut. And one day, this guy, he's out trapping, and he's on his snowmobile, which looked like it was probably one of the first snowmobiles ever invented, and uh, he comes around the corner to one of his far-off huts, not his base hut, and a tree's fallen over on the roof. He's in trouble. Immediately, he wants to turn around and go back to the base hut. Why? Because the base hut is a place of safety, a place of warmth. I mean, it's minus 50 degrees, a place where he knows he can go and he'll be okay. But he wasn't able to make it back and he had to repair the hut and that was part of the program and it was very interesting. And I love watching programs like this. But I learned a lesson from these Russian trappers and it's to do with conversion. Conversion when it comes to preparing for heaven. Hear me. Conversion is your base hut. It's what matters the most. 
It's the foundation of your experience. You go no further. You can do nothing else. You cannot please God without conversion. Do you understand that this morning? And the great struggle that Adventism has, the great struggle that Christianity has today in our Western world is that not enough of us are genuinely, bona fide, really converted. And the problem with that is not only does it weaken the church, but when Jesus comes, those of us who are not really converted change daily asking God into our lives, taking it so seriously that it is the most important thing in our lives. Problem with that is when Jesus comes, we won't be ready. And he's coming. We will mourn and we will be afraid. And you know, conversion is, and God bless the Pentecostals, but it's not like they say, it's not a... It's not just a one-off event. Do you get that? I remember the first time I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I remember. But it wasn't the only time I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I give my heart to Jesus Christ every morning and every night. And then you know what else I do? Right the way through the day, I've made a deal with God, and I've shared this here before. Whenever the Holy Spirit prompts me, I could be driving around, about to do a Bible study, and I'll feel a prompt, and I'll say, oh, yeah, you know what, Jesus? I want to let you know that I'm still yours. I still choose you. I still want you as my God. I still want you as my Saviour. I still want you to come into my heart. And I might pray that prayer half a dozen to a dozen times a day. And so I'm not being reconverted. I'm just reconfirming with Jesus and he's reconfirming with me in my heart that I belong to him. Amen? Amen. And that's what we need to do. We need to have that sort of conversion experience. And once I'm converted, the Holy Spirit, read John 14, 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit comes into my heart. Now listen to me. He drives me to the Bible. Who does it? The Holy Spirit, he drives me to the Bible and it's the Bible that deepens my conversion. What do I mean? Well, when I'm reading the Bible, I'm in my study and I'm looking at the story of Joseph, I want it. When I'm in my Bible study and I see the story of Daniel in the lion's den or the stories of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego on the plains of Jura, I want it. When I'm reading the story of Jesus, And I see how he lived his life. And I see the example that he set me. I want it. This is a Holy Spirit driving me into the Bible and deepening my conversion. When I see the Bible study of Paul, my favourite character outside of Jesus in all the Bible, I want what he had in his life. And you know what happens? I read it and then I get on my knees because the Bible is driving me. It's pulling me. It's encouraging me. It's cajoling me. It's calling me to the experience that these men had. And I don't know how people claim conversion and yet they're not in Bible study. They're not in daily Bible study. It's, in my view, almost impossible. If you're not studying the Bible, you need to go back to base camp. And what's base camp? Conversion. Because your problem is not that you're not reading the Bible, you're not converted. 
If you're not going to church, you need to go back to base camp because your problem's not that you're not going to church. That's that you're not what? Because if you're converted, you're, I said this the other day in Sabbath school, if you're converted, you are desperate to be at church. And why do you want to be at church? Because who's there? God, Jesus. That's why conversion is base camp. When I read the stories of these great people in the Bible and I get on the knees, led there by the Holy Spirit, led in the Bible by the Holy Spirit, and I get on my knees and I ask Jesus for the experience that they had, something supernatural is going on inside of me and the conversion is deepening and the conversion is strengthening and the conversion is becoming something very special and very Precious. Do you get what I'm talking about here? Do you get it or have I lost you? Do you get it? Point two, let's move fast. We're running out of time. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I've kind of touched on this already. So you've made a decision that you want to be converted. You've got on your knees. You've asked Jesus into your heart. He's come in. The Holy Spirit is there. You can't pray that prayer and God doesn't answer it. Whether you feel it or not, if you pray for a conversion, you have it and you have it immediately. When you pray for a conversion, heaven stops. God's ear is attentive to prayers like that. He hears you. He blesses you and he answers it immediately. Whoa, Lloyd is asking for a conversion. I've been working on him for a long time. Do you think God's not going to come? And the Holy Spirit comes. Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. The Holy Spirit comes in and he will guide your life. He will talk to you. He will have conversations with you. And we as a people need to listen to him and do what he says. Bible says in Matthew that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. What Jesus is really saying there is the Holy Spirit will come into your life. He will take over. You will no longer be the captain of your ship. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will tell you where to go. He will be your captain, but listen to what he says and follow him. And too often, We want the conversion, but we buck up at the Holy Spirit when he comes into our lives and wants to guide and wants to direct us. Most of us don't need to argue about whether God exists or not because we know. Most of us have prayed the prayer of conversion and most of us have had the Holy Spirit come to visit us. But there's a lot of us, and me included at times, Liska, who rebel against his leading and guidance. We don't want to do it. Oh, says the Holy Spirit. Don't go to that concert, young people. Ah, but I want to go to that concert. And you start arguing with him. No, but don't go there. That singer's not singing stuff that advances me. That singer lives an immoral lifestyle. 
They're pulling your life down. Don't, yeah, but I like the beat and I like the rhythms and I like the music and I like what she looks like. Leave me alone. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, or sometimes it can be the Holy Spirit, you know, for me. I talk about an old man. I go home, turn the TV on on a Saturday night, love watching action stuff full of violence and guns. And I don't know where I got that from because I'm a pacifist, really. And so I've been at church. I've taught the lesson. I've preached the sermon. I've been sharing Jesus and I come home and turn the TV on on my computer because Luzka won't let us have a television. Switch on Netflix. Thank you very much, Hannah. (laughs) And there's Stallone or one of those guys about to get into a big action movie full of blood and am I allowed to say guts? And the Holy Spirit says to me, Lloyd, don't. But I want to. And you don't think it's a big deal, but every time you turn against the Holy Spirit and you walk the other way, you lessen his power and the you lessen the noise of his voice in your life until he finally you cannot hear him. And I see that happening to Seventh-day Adventist Christians and it's scary when no longer they're hearing the Holy Spirit and they think what they're doing is right and what they're doing is okay, and it's not, but it's not. And if, you're, if you can't hear the Holy Spirit today, what do you, where do you need to go back to? You need to go back to where? Base camp. And you need to have a conversion. And I'm telling you right now, and I've got no problem saying this, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you and tell you to do things that you don't want to do. In fact, more than 50% of the things the Holy Spirit tells me, I don't want to do. And I make a choice. And this is not a muck around time in the history of the earth. And I make a choice whether I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit or whether I'm going to resist him. And he will tell you the most intimate, the most, uh, he'll tell you stuff that nobody else knows. He'll ask you to do things that you won't want to do. And you're going to make a choice whether or not you want to do it. And if you do it, well, you're going to be blessed. Because the Holy Spirit never asks you to do anything that won't bless you, that won't help you in your life. He doesn't want to hurt you. He doesn't want to cause you pain. He wants to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. But you've got to listen to him and you've got to follow him. And if you've asked for a conversion and you've allowed him into your heart and if you're starting to read the Bible and you're on your knees and praying, he will come and you then make the choice whether or not you want to listen to him or not. I'll tell you something. You can read the Bible till Jesus comes. You can go to church every Sabbath and you can dress up and you can pay your tithe and you can even give money to the church building fund. Hallelujah. Amen. But if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit then it doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how much you come to church. It doesn't matter how much you play the game. If you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you right now, you're going to lose your walk with Jesus. And the closer we get to the end, and the more the Holy Spirit calls us out of the world, the more difficult it's going to be for us to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you anyway. I've got to tell you, and I know I can talk for myself here, we have, some of us have our roots deeply planted into the foundations, into the soil of this earth, amen? And we're struggling to get out of it, and we're struggling to follow God, and we're struggling to listen to the Holy Spirit. Go back to your conversion. Have a conversion. Ask for the Holy Spirit to soften your heart. Ask for Him to help you to be obedient to His voice and His word. As I said, there's not an Adventist I know of that really believes in atheism or in evolution because we've all had the the Holy Spirit come to us at one time or another and talk to us and you know what I'm talking about. In fact, right now, whether you're converted or not, 
whether you're walking with Jesus or not, I'll bet you most of you know what is in your life that God doesn't want there. Am I right? Huh? That's the Holy Spirit. And he's calling us to obedience. My dad saw the Holy Spirit get hold of an American Samoan boy. I think I told this story once in Sabbath school here in this church. This boy was in, he was wild. He wasn't a real tall fellow, but he was about 10 feet wide. You know the sort of Polynesian boys. You see, we've got some of them in our church. If we ever have a rugby team, I want you boys in the front row. He uh, committed a terrible crime, actually. He, he got into a, a pub brawl. He had one of those big cane knives they have in the islands, and he, he decapitated the guy he was fighting with. He was put in jail in American Samoa, but he was so violent that eventually they had to shift him to Hawaii and put him in maximum security there. He was there in maximum security for a while, and he was just so bad that they ended up saying, we don't want him, and they shipped him back to American Samoa. Well, he's in American Samoa, and he's in the, the, the tightest lockup they've got, and the kids in, in the, the, the main city there, and I don't know the name of it, but my dad was there at this particular church, and they told him the story. They ran a Revelation seminar, Revelation seminars are fantastic because they're about Jesus Christ in the prison. And uh, you wouldn't believe it, but on the first night, this guy turns up. And he listens to these kids preach. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing more powerful in the world than young people filled with the Holy Spirit, truly converted, preaching the gospel. Amen? Amen. They can go places and do things that I as an old man can't do. And I encourage the young people in our church to have this experience I'm talking about today. Well, to cut a long story short, he stayed the whole time. When they made a call for Jesus, you wouldn't believe it, and the prison officials couldn't believe it, but something had been happening in this cold, stony heart of this murderer. See, God will go into the hearts of men and women that no one else will go in. He believes in people that no one else will believe in because he can see deep into our minds and our hearts. He can go where no one else can go. And he'd been inside this man's heart and he'd been calling him and the Holy Spirit was there and he responded and he came to the front. He ended up getting baptised. Young people are telling my dad this story and he's enthralled because my dad at the time was the youth director of the, the Pacific Union Mission over there and he was over there in, in, in American Samoa. He's at the church, they're telling the story and then they said, come here, we want to show you something. They took him out to a back room and there's this man. He'd been freed for good behaviour and he's teaching kindergarten Sabbath school. True story. You see, when you have a conversion and you let the Holy Spirit in, they're the radical things God will do with you. And God is calling us in this hour. Donald Trump sends four aircraft carriers toward North Korea. North Korea promises that they'll send the United States and Australia and any ally up, they'll incinerate us so we don't exist anymore. Syria, torn apart by civil war. Unrest in Ukraine. Unrest and civil war right through Africa and some places in South America. The world is heaving and it is desperate for Christians who have had a conversion and are listening to the Holy Spirit. Do you get me?
Two more quick things. So number one, be converted. Number two, let the Holy Spirit, well, listen to the Holy Spirit and let him change you. Number three, this is a strange one you might think, eat the right food. John 6.35, Jesus replied. Now this is interesting, this text. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And when Jesus said this, go and read John chapter 6. The Bible says that many people who were following Jesus turned away from him. There's something Jesus said here that many people didn't like. Basically what Jesus is saying is, I am the bread of life. Eat that bread. Well, what do I mean? Well, as late as this morning, you know, Lizzie, God bless my wife. She buys me these fancy shirts. You see I'm wearing a new shirt up here. Can you see that? I'm actually wearing new pants. How many of you even noticed that? I bet there's a couple, but not. That's right. These are slimming pants. Did you know that? (laughs) And this is a slimming shirt, but there's something wrong with this shirt. It's clinging to me, and it's catching my spare tire, and I can't stand it. (laughs) And I came to church very cranky this morning, true, Liska? And Liska poured fuel on the fire because she said, well, if you just stick to your diet, this wouldn't happen. (laughs) So we had a stressful morning in the marriage, amen, baby? (laughs) I know all about diets and I know the struggle. I know about food types. I know about calories. I've even learned about kilojoules. And I know that I'm not supposed to eat chocolate. Is Steve here today? There he is. Not sure about him anymore. I came out of the gym, had just done 40 laps yesterday afternoon. My wife had sent me to the shop to buy her some stuff. I'm walking out of the shop eating a chocolate and Stephen caught me. (laughs) And he says, well, what did you say? You'll be in trouble. (laughs) See, I understand the difficulty of diet. And here's my struggle. I don't particularly like lettuce. I don't particularly like radish. I'm, I don't mind tomato, but I don't like carrot. I don't like the salad foods a whole lot. Of the vegetable foods, I do like potato, but I like it mashed with a lot of butter and cream and salt in it. <laughs> and so over 53 years, I have an acquired taste. I love bread, and if it's got an inch of butter on it, all the better. So you can see why I've got here and why this shirt's clinging to me this morning. And do you know I went exercising yesterday? I did uh, 40 laps. No, let's not talk about yesterday. The day before, I was with Hannah and, again, up in the, up in the, the gym. And I did a half an hour of high cardiovascular intense exercise. What really depressed me about that was all that exercise and all that sweat. In fact, it was 40 minutes. And I came out of it absolutely stonkered. All I'd done was wear off three slices of bread without butter. It was a nightmare. See, I need to acquire a taste, and I haven't done it yet, and you'll see that at lunch in just a minute. I need to acquire a taste for good food. I need to learn to eat the lettuce and the tomato and the carrot. I need to learn to eat the fresh fruit and the veggies. But when I eat them, my whole body almost 
recoils from it. Do you get what I'm saying? What are you nodding your head for there, girl? <laughs> it recoils. And when I have a salad, within 10 minutes, I'm ready to eat again. Because my body has not become conditioned to it. And it's kind of like that in this world. Jesus says, hey, I'm the bread of life. Eat that bread. In other words, he's saying, consume me, consume my ways, consume my life, consume the, the things that I did, consume the ways that I lived. Jesus is telling us, eat that bread. But we are not doing that. We're eating, and I'm talking openly to you this morning. We're, and we're, I'm talking about beginners. I'm talking about a beginners. Now, what, what, what was the name of this sermon again? Beginning guide, beginners guide to prepare for the second coming. I'm talking about preparing for the second coming. We're eating our wrong food. And we've got to stop, just like I've got to stop. You know what? You're never going to have a thin pastor unless he can get to grips with his food. I acknowledge and concede that. I go and I exercise. I'm up to 40 laps a day in the pool. How many of you swim 40 laps a day in the pool? Desiree, feel that. Come on. Right across there. Am I swimming, girl? Come on. Yeah? I am swimming. I actually have the muscle mass across here. You just can't see it. <laughs> It's disguised, but if you want to come up and feel it later, I don't mind. But I can, you know what, I'm going to have to exercise 8 to 10 hours a day. And still I wouldn't get down to what I need to be because my food intake is wrong. There, do you like that, Liska? I concede. Do you like that? And this thing sticks to me. This spare tire is grabbing here and I can't stand it. The food of the world. Listen to me. I haven't got much longer to speak. I run out of time. But look at this. The food of the world. What are we eating? The movies. Come on. The music. The social media. Stuff that's going on social media, if you really look into it, it's very scary. And it's impacting some of us in here today. The love of clothes and travel and houses and cars and careers and relationships, these things aren't all bad. But when you're eating this stuff for sustenance, when this is what you're eating to survive, there's something wrong. And, and Jesus, Jesus is saying to us today, stop Eating this food for sustenance. Yeah, you've got to have a house. I'm not saying you shouldn't travel. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a car. But when that stuff is your sustenance, do you know what I'm saying? You see people trying to get rich by investing in houses. How many houses can you live in? One. And a lot of them are already in our culture too big, Amen. You hear what I'm saying? Now, there's nothing wrong with going out to buy a house. There's nothing wrong with investing. But when you're buying a house, when you're investing, and that's the stuff of your sustenance, that's how you survive, that's what gives you your kicks, that's what gives you your thrills, that's what gives you your joy. Oh, I just can't wait to go on that next trip overseas where I can spend thousands on myself. I've got to be careful, i just come back from Japan. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? It's your sustenance. Do you hear what I'm saying? You're eating that as food. God is saying, stop. Eat the, and by the way, 
The reason we're struggling so much to get into the Bible, and I'm talking to the converted here because most of you are here this morning, but the, the reason we struggle so much to get to Sabbath school on time or to, ch- to even go to church, the reason we find these things boring a lot of the time is because we're eating the wrong food. Do you know what it's like for me to eat a salary stick? <laughs> Compared to a cream bun from Woolworths for a dollar fifty on special or late at night as I'm going home. I don't go into Woolworths on my way home and buy a salary stick on my way home. They have beautiful cream apple turnovers for three dollars fifty that are going for a dollar at ten at night. Did you know that? Just before they close. And the reason we're struggling in the Bible, man, you're never gonna find the Bible interesting. If you're off to every single concert of every single rock star that comes into town, it's not going to happen. Do you hear me? Because you're gorging yourself on that stuff. If you go to every single movie that comes out (coughs) with absolutely no sensor in your mind at all, you're eating this stuff, you're consuming it. And when you come to God, when you come to church, when you come to the Bible, even when you come to prayer, you can't stay on your knees for more than 10 seconds and you're bored and you don't want to do it anymore because you're eating the wrong food. And this is where, the, where it's important when the Holy Spirit comes in to let him lead and guide us and to obey him because when he comes in and he tells us what to do, he's taken us off the fat food onto the diet, onto the vegetables and the, and the salad. Here's some good food. Bible study, God's food. Church, God's food. Listen to me for a second. And I'm not just saying this because it's happening this week. Claire... I wish and I pray that every single church member at Hope, New Hope, is in our midweek Bible studies. I wish, I hope, I pray. Because that's the food that God, that Jesus is encouraging us to eat. Missions and outreaches, get to every single one of them. Why? Because you can't wait to eat the food there. And I'm not talking about what we're about to eat outside. The music you listen to. Have you ever listened to beautiful Spiritual music that reflects the character of God. The character of God which is ordered and quiet and leads you into a reflection of Him. Everything we listen to, everything we watch, everything we read, it's food one way or the other. Last point. So, so far we've... We've looked at the beginner's guide to being prepared for the second coming. We're talking about number one, conversion. Number two, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Number three, eat the right food. And this is the last one, share. Jesus said, last words he said to us before he went to heaven, after he'd been living here on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them... Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If you've had a conversion, if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, leading you, changing you, guiding you, if you are eating the right food or on the way to eating the right food, then I can tell you this one's a no-brainer. You will share. There's something seriously wrong about an Adventist pastor. I don't care if it's the pastor here at New Hope or the pastor at Kellyville or Warunga or wherever you are in Sydney or Australia or the world. There's something seriously wrong with an Adventist pastor or Claire getting up the front and begging people to share Jesus. Amen? 
Amen? We shouldn't have to do that. It's not our job. My job is not to try and get you to share. Because I'm going to say it again. If you've had a conversion, if the Holy Spirit's inside of you, if you're eating the right food, then this is just a natural thing. They can't shut you up. I remember I hadn't long been walking with the Lord and I was talking about him, couldn't stop, and one of my friends said, would you just shut up? And I looked at him because I'm German I said, no. You've got to share. It's so important to your Christian walk. It's so important to being ready for Jesus when he comes. I can tell you now that when Jesus comes and the, ice split, the sky splits open and the world is mourning, those who are ready for him, who are rejoicing and are full of joy, are those who will be sharing. It's so important to your walk with Jesus. You can have these other three. You can have a conversion. You can have the Holy Spirit. You can be eating the right food. If you're not sharing, your ship would sink. But here's the deal. If you have those three, that's not happening anyway. You get what I'm saying? Um, I was listening to someone here in this church the other day talk about the Dead Sea. You know why it's dead? There are two seas on the River Jordan. One's a Dead Sea. What's the other one? Galilee. The reason the Sea of Galilee works is because the water goes in, and what does it do? It goes out. So it takes and it gives. The reason the Dead Sea is dead is because it what? Takes. Now let me talk to you about the Sydney church scene, and it bothers me. It worries me. When you see churches in Sydney going in and out of vogue, do you know what I'm saying? Well, this preacher is in Sydney. He's at this church. And he can really preach and he's really interesting. And so that church grows. You know what I'm saying? And then when that preacher leaves, what happens to that church? It what? It dies. We've got too many church members in Sydney. I talk about our city, and I used to be one of them. Who is taking, but we are not what? We're not giving. So if David Ashrick turns up in town, if he's at this church next week, you won't get a seat here. Hallelujah, true, amen? Because we love to take, but we're struggling to give. Now, if you're struggling to give, if you're, you're, you're sitting here and there's resistance in your heart now, where do you need to go? Back to what? Back to base camp. I almost put these things in order, you know. You've got to first have you've got to first have a conversion. Then the Holy Spirit comes. As the Holy Spirit comes and leads you, you start to eat the right food. And as you start to eat the right food, a fire is lit up in your heart and you start to share. Now, if you're not sharing, you don't want to share. If you I, I, I'll even be even more brutal today. I'm on I'm on song on this, Claire. Look, I get, and I've said this before, that not all of you want to go door knocking next Sabbath. We get that, hey, Claire. But I don't get why the following Sabbath, uh, Sunday, oh, two weeks' time on a Sunday, why we wouldn't all be there. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? Am I too close to home today, brothers and sisters? I can't imagine why we wouldn't all be there unless we had some pressing other engagement. So what am I saying? Hey, if I'm full of the Holy Spirit, if I had a conversion, if I'm eating the right food, I'm going to share. You can't stop me. You won't be able to be stopped. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 8, freely you've received freely, give. Life, I'm telling you, is not about, it's not, it's not about new cars. And these are things that are dear to my heart. It's not about holidays around the world and it's not about your career. 
It's not about how good the house you live in or what suburb you live in or whether you can even afford a house here in Sydney. It's not about what investments you've got, whether they be on the stock market or whether they be in houses, whether they be in cars, whatever they be in. Life is not about pleasure and fun. Primarily, the life of a Christian is about how they can share Jesus. And if you're not sharing Jesus, you need to go back to where? Base one. Everything starts at conversion. The foundation is in conversion. And I love our church because there are many areas that you can share in this church no matter what your talent or your gift. You can be a deacon. We need, where's Zoran? Where are you, mate? Probably gone out to the toilet. Oh, there he is. Do we need deacons? And in this church, deacons are male and female. We need deacons to serve. We need more on our welcome team. We need more on the tech team, Andrew Hunt. We need more on our Sabbath school teams, on our music teams, the Pathfinders. The about to start, not this week, but the following week. Here, in the church, we're going to do this, Claire, with you at the church on Sabbath morning in a couple of weeks' time. Are you doing that? Because certainly during the week, on the Wednesday night at my place, we're going to be doing how to do Bible studies. And Claire's going to start one in the church in a couple of weeks in the Sabbath school time. And then for those of you who can't make it then or are involved elsewhere, there's going to be my place on Wednesday nights in a couple of weeks on how to do Bible studies. And if the Holy Spirit's leading you to that, you need to step forward. You need to use your gifts and talents. If I had more time, I don't have it. I'd go into that parable on the talents. And I've always been interested in the fact that God doubled the talents of the guy who had the most. And the guy who had the least, you know what he did to his talent? What did he do? He stuck it in the ground. He was the one with the least. I think Jesus recognises a lot of us don't have a lot of talents and he's talking to us. And he's saying, what's your talent you have? God, use. And if you use it, I'll multiply it. And I have seen someone come into the church and be on fire for Jesus and use what they've got. I've seen Jesus multiply their talents. Have you seen that? I've seen people who couldn't sing all of a sudden be able to sing. I'm still holding out for that myself. <laughs> God hasn't given me that talent yet, but boy, I'd love to have it. Use your gifts. Use your talents. If it's in music, use it. If it's in teaching and preaching, use it. If it's in business, I'll say this. I don't even know how many businessmen we've got in our church, but I'll say to this businessman of the Seventh-day Adventist church, I'm talking generic now, if God's given you a talent to make money, what do we say to that? Amen. Amen. But use the money, not on travel. And Well, you can use it on some travel. And you can go and buy a nice car and you can live in a nice house because that's part of the blessing of the talent God's given you. But you better not be a man with millions and million dollars in the bank or a woman and not be using it for what? The cause of God. I mean, the last thing you want to do is get caught at the end of time with all your money locked up in the bank and lose it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Oh, we talk very close to the heart and we talk money in our culture. No matter how humble or grand your talent, use it. So I'm closing. The beginner's guide to preparing for the second coming. Be converted. Let the Holy Spirit guide you, lead you, change you, listen to his voice. Number three, eat the what? Right food. And number four, share Jesus. Matthew 24, 30, 31. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. And there will be great rejoicing among the people at New Hope. Amen? Amen. You like my version? 
And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send, send out his angels for them with a mighty blast of the trumpet. And they at New Hope will be gathered together, his chosen ones, from all over Sydney, from one end of the city to the other. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, how we need Jesus. How we need Jesus. And if you're struggling with what I've said today, if you don't remember anything else I've said, go back to base one. Jesus will take you from there.